Welcome to episode 66 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now, here's your host, Robbie Samuels. In 1994, when I was 20 years old, I received great career advice. I was told I would likely have four different jobs before I was 40, and that some of those jobs would be in industries that didn't even exist yet. I realized I needed to be flexible and open to new possibilities, including ones I couldn't have dreamt about at 20 years old. Nowadays, the rate of job hopping has doubled, Millennials are averaging four jobs in just the first 10 years after college, and that trend is likely to accelerate, not slow down. Since 2008, the number of mid-career professionals turning to entrepreneurship has skyrocketed. How do you prepare for a career in a world filled with disruptive technology that leads to entire industries becoming obsolete? You acquire the kinds of skills that will help you manage and thrive, no matter what new field you find yourself. The ability to build strong relationships and convert them into clients or supporters is one of the skills that will benefit you no matter what work you do. If networking is part of your job and you want to go from good to great, read my best-selling business book, Croissants vs. Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. Purchase it at robbysamuels.com forward slash bookstore and receive all of the book's bonuses including the free audiobook. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is a marketing leadership advisor, keynote speaker, and award-winning author who helps courageous CEOs and CMOs accelerate growth and innovation. She's a chief energy officer of Energize Growth and the founder of several private peer groups, including marketing leaders of D.C., and marketing leaders of Atlanta. Innovative companies such as Adobe, LinkedIn, Google, and Hilton hire her to gain fresh insights and launch breakthrough marketing ideas. Please join me in welcoming Lisa Norell. Good morning, Robbie. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me from your office near Washington, D.C. I want to just jump right in and ask you questions about leadership because the podcast about leadership and building great networks. What does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? You know, I remember back when I didn't even understand what the heck leadership was. I mean, to me, it was just something I did. Um, I have over time learned to define it as the ability to inspire others to take action. And um, that has really just been how I, how I live my life. I don't think I woke up one day and said, oh, I'm a leader. It just, I've always been somebody who saw unmet needs, who saw a need for things to get done in the world. (laughs) And I would just step up. I was always one of those annoying nerds in high school that when the teacher asked for volunteers to get up in front of the room or Mm -hmm. demonstrate something, I said, well, you know, I have nothing to lose. No one's shooting yeah. at me. <laughs> so you you are always kind of willing to raise your hand and, and step in 
did you also uh, organize your friends to, you know, on the playground or to do activities after school? Were, were you, or did you have an entrepreneurial spirit to you, or was it more just when someone invited you to step into leadership, you did? Well, there were a couple of pivotal moments. One is that I'm really grateful for my brother. My brother owned a small business, an office supply business. Can you believe that those things actually existed back then in the 70s? But they did. And so he had an office supply delivery service and a retail store. And he put me at the front of the de- you know, at the front desk at the register. I had to communicate with people. I learned from him and my mother how to upsell and suggest new products and new items. And I just really never had any fear around that. And then the other the other pivotal moment was that uh, again, I just <laughs> raised I raised my hand a lot. So in June in high school, I always volunteered to run things. So I was I think I was president of the Spanish club. I was class president for a couple years. You know, there was this big gaping hole, and nobody was willing to step forward. So I figured, well, why not me? And you know, I was just that I was that nerd. Uh, that just stepped forward and did stuff and many times made a fool of myself. I love that part of your experience is, is this retail piece. Um, Cause I don't think I've shared it on this podcast and I've been do talking for a long time, but um, my father had a flea market booth when I was very young and I spent years from like, you know, eight or nine years old to 13 or 14 years old working at a booth and learning customer service, marketing, sales, upselling. I was I, I would describe myself as precocious <laughs> when you're 11 and you're you're talking to adults and, and teaching them things and, and helping them get stuff. But it was such a great learning ground. And uh, also the phrase, if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean, right? <laughs> like work ethic. <laughs> I working like that. For family, yeah. Working for family is challenging, but it also has a lot of rewards. You have opportunities at a younger age than you might have. So uh, you, you, you sort of morphed from the student who always raised their hand. Uh, you then continued to, to follow that path when you went into to school later on and into your first years of business. Yes, I did. And I was a corporate employee for the first 18 years of my career uh, because I had a very different definition of success back then than I do now. And so that kind of carried with me. And in college, I just didn't have a ton of time to volunteer or raise my hand because I was on an accelerated study schedule. So not only did I hop ship from Mount Holyoke to pursue a four-year business degree, but I did it in, I did a four-year business degree in two years. So I really didn't have time during school breaks to do anything except study, sleep, and make some money with some part-time jobs. And that, I, that's, all I re, that's all I really had time to do at that time. What was your first foray into, into business? How did you get your, your start in that world? You mean other than the work at my brother's store? Yeah, yeah. Well, my first foray to business was, <laughs> was a small import-export company in Litchfield, Connecticut. 
and we had to answer inquiries from overseas electronics and tech companies to sell them components and products. And this is, this is way back when something called the personal computer was introduced. <laughs> so I had a crash course in microprocessors and circuit boards and PCBs and all these other things. It was really, <laughs> you know, and that, that was kind of my, the beginning of my love affair with technology. It's such a remarkable origin story because, I, you know, you see someone who's successful in the work they're doing today, and it's, it's almost hard to imagine you, Lisa, being that person who's, whose job is to answer these inquiries and, like, fix your own computer because things are going wrong and, um, and learning on the job. At, at what point did you decide to make the shift to where you're at now, which is, you know, you're, you're a leader, but you're also, uh, you're speaking, you're, you wrote books, and you've... Uh, have developed your own following. How did have you come to make that big leap? Yes, I talk a lot about this in my first book, Energize Growth Now. And one of the things about pivotal moments in one's life is they, you know, they are great fodder for books and blog posts. And as I trust you're aware of, because you're also an author. So I had this pivotal moment that I, w- I was working for a really successful, fast-growth, billion-dollar software company, and I had a very nice, prestigious job with stock options and other things, and I was just so miserable. And right around that time, that was our company had been acquired by this larger organization. That was around the time that September 11th occurred. So talk about a kick in the pants. I I had this reality check of what am I doing with life being so short and fleeting? What's my, what's my purpose and how can I get reignited, re-energized around what I'm doing in the world? And so um, one of the smartest things I did at the time, besides ask tough questions, was I hired a business coach named Greg Klaumanzer in San Diego, and I hope he's listening. And, you know, he was so patient with me, but it took 18 months for me to answer that question. 18 months. So I figured it out. I kept saving money. I set a, set aside some financial reserves. My husband was really supportive. And uh, then I launched my business because I realized at that time I was slowly creeping towards being unemployable. Mm, yeah, which is now a badge of honor. But it's a scary thing when you first come to that realization that, you know, Yes, you're not going to work in the structures that you had been living in that they don't work for you anymore. Uh, is this this is more than ten years ago now that you've been you've been at this? Sixteen years. Sixteen years. Wow, that's tremendous. Yeah, it, I love talking to people who've been at this long enough that they've iterated in their business because usually you talk to people who are in the first couple of years they're still trying to they're still in that first wave of of uh, discovery about what it is they can offer the world. But you have been able to go through that process many times over and keep offering different types of value. What, what is it that you love? What's like most rewarding about the work you're doing today? Well, one is that about 80% of the revenues I generate today uh, are for services and products that didn't exist two years ago. And that's really fun. So I am constantly, you know, um, Alan Weiss, uh, whom we both know, says I'm constant, 
constantly amazed at how stupid I was two weeks ago. So I am just constantly reinventing and looking at what's working and what's not working and what do I have to quit doing? Either because I'm terribly bored by it, my clients are terrible, are not getting the value they deserve, uh, or some other host of questions. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a key. That's great. Do you have any stories to share about um, maybe the, the growth that you've seen a client, you know, come to you and then like how, how their life has shifted and changed by working with you? Oh, gosh. Well, that's part of that's the, the platinum standard of my work is when that kind of feedback comes in. I was I've been working with this. Uh, as you know, I work pretty exclusively with CEOs and CMOs to help them accelerate growth and marketing innovation. And I've been advising the CMO of a multi-billion dollar company that's headquartered in the Washington area, and their industry is undergoing tremendous disruption, tremendous. So their core business is seeing declines of 30 to 40% in revenues, and they're being pushed to truly become a digital, digitally driven organization. So what happens with any company that's 30, 40, 50 years old? There's a lot of resistance to new ideas because people's heels are dug into the past and what, and what we're familiar with. So they realize that, you know, when you're losing hundreds of thousands of, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue potential and market share, you have to take notice. So we've been working, I've been working with their CMO and their leadership team to help them not only identify their clear purpose and vision for the future, but also what obstacles are in the way of them achieving that. Mm-hmm. Whether those are talent obstacles, technology obstacles, marketing obstacles, etc., and they just within three weeks were able to eliminate a laundry list of projects and initiatives that really weren't serving that vision. So uh, we're estimating that uh, they are going to be able to be uh, to retain a lot more of their customers and already are looking to drive some significant top-line revenue from that. Wow. It's amazing how that outside perspective can be so handy and that the need for people like you has grown as there's more disruption in the market. Um, As you define your own work as an entrepreneur, what's been most challenging for you in getting started in this, you know, I'm on, I don't know if you're really on your own because you're surrounded by community and an amazing network, but you are self-driven now and you don't have someone telling you what to do what's what's been challenging about that and then how do you overcome that challenge well the good news is i've been self-driven since the early days of school like my parents never had to remind me to do my homework my bosses really appreciated that i was very self-driven and i've been very goal oriented every job i've had has had a revenue number tied to it or a set of performance goals so I'm very comfortable in that realm. And I'm an action figure. You know, I'm, I'm really fond of self-reflection and unplugging to observe and witness where I'm at in my life. However, 
I'm equally committed to taking action and experimentation in both my, my personal and professional life. So I, I wouldn't say that's ever been a challenge. So what's been the challenge for you then? Like what's the, uh, what's been part of your learning that, that you've had to work on? Part of my learning is that is the rigor around saying no to the good and yes to the great. Mm. Good reminder. You know, now that I'm published in Forbes CMO and Fast Company and I've got a couple books under my belt, I get a lot more inquiries and I get tons of PR people reaching out to me. I get lots of people that want to team up and co-author blog posts and articles and so forth. And that takes a lot of creative energy. Mm -hmm. And I only have so many hours in the day. And I love eight, I sleep eight hours a night. I mean, sleep is for me just, it's a beautiful thing. It's really important to me. So I really believe in that and continually saying politely, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm really glad you brought up sleep because I always ask my guests about sort of how do they manage the myth of work-life balance, or maybe it's more of work-life integration. And particularly when uh, you are your own boss, you know, how do you, how do you know when you're not working? How do you have that distinction? Yes. And I like the term work-life integration because for me, I don't have a personal life and a professional life. I have one life. And who I am with you right now is the same person I am if I'm having coffee with my girlfriend. And uh, so I really, I really don't believe in that. And I'm sure I'm upsetting somebody. But I have... Uh, I have an affinity for designing my life first and creating my business around that. So I design time for my swim training. I design time for my meditation. I design time for um, my client interaction. I de- you know, it's kind of all on this huge calendar that I share with my assistant. And I do everything I can to stick with that calendar so that the important things are addressed. So, right. You always want to do the, the big rocks first. That's right. right. <laughs> we love Stephen Covey. He, yeah. he really changed the world. Yeah. You know, having um, it, it's, it's frameworks, you know, we now have frameworks to have these conversations and language that we didn't have before the shorthand of that. But it sounds like you've also found a way to make that work for you and you've got support people to help you kind of be accountable to it. Is there, uh, is there a habit you're still working to integrate into your life? Um, I have a number of habits that I wrote about in The Mindful Marketer. Uh, and some, if some people are curious about those, we actually have a quiz at themindfulmarketer.com forward slash bonus. So you can check out the quiz. I write these things for my own benefit and as well as for clients, you know, so I do my best to actually use some of the systems and tools that I teach. That's good. And sometimes I'm actually successful. And one of the habits that I am constantly practicing is avoiding multitasking. It's so hard. So last night, uh, my husband and I went to see Sting. Mm. And he was phenomenal. Did you know Sting is 67 years young? Wow. 
Yes. His yeah. son, his son, Joe, is now performing with him. His son is 40, which blows my mind, you know, that he has a 40-year-old son. But anyway, um, it was really shocking to me that 30% of the people in the audience were not watching the concert. They were busy fooling around with their phones. And they were so busy trying to get the perfect photo and deal with the light show and everything else that they were missing the essence of this world-class perennial performer in front of them. So I intentionally left my phone in the car and I just sat there and enjoyed every moment of it. And so how many of us are doing the same thing? I'm so busy focusing on getting the perfect Insta shot that I completely missed the energy and the joy that was circulated in that room. That's a great reminder because uh, usually when people are thinking about multitasking, it's about work efficiencies, but you're pointing out that sometimes the multitasking kind of creeps in when we're, when we're out enjoying life, that we aren't. I had a guest come on and talk about one of his practices was he would walk to work. Um, he worked at Google and he would walk, you know, to his job in Mountain View, California. And his, he tried to find one beautiful photo. That was his entire job every day was take one photo. But to take that one photo, he had to be very, very present. And so he would smell the coffee brewing. He would feel the wind. He would see flower petals. He would notice the sky. And he would be, he'd have a moment where he'd say, that could be the perfect photo. And he would take it. And he said, you know, all the days that I failed to take a perfect photo, I still gained that, that walk, that presence, that being that I wouldn't have had if I just been like walking on my phone, like, you know, staring down. I love that it's someone from Google that's sharing with me these thoughts about being present and not attached to technology. Yes, Google's audience was one of the most receptive audiences for one of my recent keynotes. As we talked a lot about multitasking and preparing for meetings and how do you do that in a mindful, present way. And what you're pointing out is something that James Clear talks about too in a lot of his publications, which is that our habits are a yes vote for our identity. So, you know, it's just a a wonderful invitation for us to answer the question of how do we want to be recognized in our networks? Do we want to be recognized as the scattered, super busy person? Or do we want to be known as the person who's truly fully there for the other person when we're having a conversation? I'm glad you brought up networks because this is also a podcast about networking. And partly I ask questions about leadership to give some context to networking and building relationships because it's not abstract. I mean, to be successful is to know how to build great relationships and have that community. You have met so many people. You had your 18 years working in a corporate life. You've 16 years working as an entrepreneur. How do you nurture and sustain those connections that you're constantly meeting people? Like, do you have any systems or processes or habits around that? Yes. Well, one is that I'm really blessed to be surrounded by world-class CMOs. So we, we started our marketing leaders of DC group five and a half years ago. And we get a typically 80 to 85% of our members renew with us. So I am learning from them all the time, but don't tell them. 
Don't tell them that I'm getting equal value. And the marketing leaders of Atlanta is newer. And again, the same thing. I keep learning through their experiences. So in a way, I think of them as my trusted, hand-selected network. And then the other thing that I do regularly is that I have a group of about 20 global influencers whom I follow through Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And these are people such as Dory Clark and Bruce Turkle and um, Chip Conley, and who's now a, a key ambassador and executive at Airbnb. And I follow these people and their world adventures. And when I see them doing really cool things, I make sure that I share what they're working on with my community whether they've recently written something profound or they're just saying something powerful and inspiring. So I continually keep an eye on them. Um, And then I refresh myself by attending at least three to five gatherings a year, whether those are Renaissance weekends, um, retreats, yoga. You know, I'm going on a yoga retreat this fall up in New York. Just, just so I can connect with like-minded people. That's so great because uh, you know I wrote a book about networking uh, strategically, effectively, inclusively at conferences because I think there's such value in being intentionally surrounding yourself with, like you said, like-minded people. And it sounds like you understand that when you approach the situations, that there's more to it than just the content. It's really the people that are drawn. I mean, Renaissance Weekend is a great example of the kind of quality caliber of people that are, are drawn to that kind of gathering. Same thing with the yoga retreat. So you're going there with an intentionality to kind of re- renew your spirit as well as, you know, learn, you know, the content, it's the connections. It sounds like, do you have any intentions when you walk into the spaces of, of, I don't know what inspiration you're looking for, who you're trying to meet or what you're trying to learn, or it, do you like kind of go with the flow? Oh, that's a great question. What I love to do, if it's a business conference, it's very, I I do my best to set some intentions beforehand. So when I attend the Adobe Summit each year, either I'm speaking there or I'm providing some uh, journalist coverage, about three weeks before the conference, what I will do, this might be helpful to your community too, Robbie, is I look at the agenda And if there are other speakers and keynoters there as well, I just read about them. What's their background? What's their point of view? Do they have something really interesting or provocative to say? And I will take a couple of hours to scour the list of speakers, and I'll find between five and seven people who I find really interesting and intriguing. So I'll reach out to them on LinkedIn, and I'll say... You know, I'll be there. I look forward to your session. Um, And I ask if it's okay to meet with them after their talk or to grab a cup of coffee. And I have met some amazing authors, experts, and CEOs that way. Yeah, that's awesome. I I have a similar approach. And I've even gone so far as uh, to schedule a dinner reservation at a restaurant in the hotel or nearby and maybe reach out and line up one or two people that I have a connection with ahead of time. But the rest of the seats get filled up along the weekend as you meet people, like you make it towards the end of the weekend. And people at that point are grateful to have an opportunity to go deeper and have a small 
intimate gathering like that. But, um, you know, reaching out to people as, as you see them ahead of time or the, I, I've actually, another piece is to say, like, can we just chat in the hallway, um, you know, rather than coffee even. And, and cause of sometimes they're just, you know, they're being inundated with requests, but you know, they'll stop in the hallway and like, that'll be the beginning. And then it's about follow-up. So it sounds like you're making some great connections there. Uh, if you had the opportunity, um, to talk to your younger self. So this is one of those, like, if you could go into the Wayback machine and share with yourself at maybe 25 years old, you know, here's something you should do to really build a strong and supportive professional network. What would that advice be? Actually, Robbie, I wouldn't go back because all those experiences, good, bad, and indifferent, made me who I am today. So my focus is more on what can I be doing right now to provide the best value, most value to my community and my clients, and to be my best self every day. That takes up enough brain slots. So I I do my best to not not really go back and look at look at what could have been or should have been because then I'm shitting all over myself. Yeah, is there is there something that if you were to then talk to someone who is maybe the beginning of their career, you would give advice to them instead? Yes, I get those questions pretty often at conferences and all I would say to them is surround yourself with the people you aspire to be someday. Oh, that's always good advice. Uh, so if uh, we had the opportunity to meet a year from now, which I, I hope we meet more often than that, and you're sharing with me all of the success you've had, what are we celebrating? Well, we're celebrating that I um, am able to complete another 5K swim race next summer, maybe sooner, and finish in the top three. That would be great. Um, the second is that my vacation plans to Bali are completed. So my husband and I are coming up on 30 years of marriage. I, I love him dearly. I always introduce him as my current husband just so we can keep things, you know, fresh. <laughs> um, I'd like to have completed a really successful uh, program and video course with Linda, which is owned by LinkedIn. I'm very excited about that new initiative. Um, as more and more people are using video as a learning platform. And I want to see more, uh, a larger percentage of our CMO community members thriving and navigating through the complex web of their roles today. Just see more of them get promotions, more of them enjoying their lives, and more of them celebrating life with their loved ones and family. Mm-hmm. Do you want for them the, the same sort of life integration that you have so that they, they can be a full human being and not just like stuck to their desk? It sounds like you. Well, absolutely. That's the work we do. We're just finishing our fifth annual CMO Innovation Trends Survey. We've had over 400 CMOs from around the world participate. And they're all just so ready emotionally to make that leap from order taker to innovator. And so my job is to just show them the possibility and give them tools and models that give them the ability to change those habits one at a time. Oh, that's wonderful. So Lisa, where can people find you or follow your work? People can go to lisanorell.com, which is N-I-R-E-L-L. 
We post new content, surveys, and tools every week, so you can check out the blog. You can also read about me on Fast Company, which is lisafast.com. I have a, a platform there. And then if you'd like to get a sample of some of my uh, other publications, you can go to themindfulmarketer.com forward slash bonus and download a free chapter and, some, and a quiz. Oh, that's excellent. I will put all those links in the show notes so folks who are listening and driving or on the elliptical can, can go find yes. them afterwards. Uh, yes, thank you. please don't multitask. Don't multitask. Focus <laughs> on what you're doing. That's uh, it. Yeah, thank you for, so much, Lisa, for joining us and, and sharing all your, your life's work. It's been a delight, Robbie. See you again. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lisa Norell. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 66. That's also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. As I mentioned at the top of the show, building relationships is critical for the success of your business or career. Are you ready to up your networking game? Do you want to turn that stack of business cards you've been collecting into cash, clients, and credibility? Create a strategic networking plan so you know where to put your limited time and energy and create a system for following up and staying connected. Let me help you transform relationships into business opportunities. Read my best-selling business book, Croissants vs. Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. Purchase it at robbysamuels.com forward slash bookstore and receive all the book's bonuses, including the free audiobook. Would you rather one-on-one coaching? Email me at robbie at robbysamuels.com and we can schedule a time to chat about personalizing a strategic networking plan for you and a system for tracking your most important connections. You can also email me to get on the wait list for my next mastermind program. If you enjoyed this episode with Lisa Norell, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talented professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.